Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast, where we mix business, law of attraction, spirituality, and well-being with great guests and phenomenal stories. You'll hear hints, tips, and up-to-the-minute information on digital communication from an expert in her field. Pearl has some wonderful individuals in her networks, and she will be interviewing them all at some point in the future. Enjoy your listening. Well, hello and welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. And yet again, I'm very lucky to have a VIP guest returning. We last spoke to this wonderful lady at the beginning of March when we were starting the International Women's Day series and we hit it off so well. And this lovely lady had so much still to share. I've said, please come back and be a regular guest. So today... I'm speaking to the wonderful Deborah Levine again. Welcome, Deborah. It's so good to have you back on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Pearl. It's a pleasure. And I love the name, Pearls of Wisdom. So true. <laughs> thank you so much. And I mean, since we last spoke, I think for both of us, things have just skyrocketed even more. So, can you give us a brief update? Like We last caught up the beginning of March, and I know I've seen so many posts that you've been involved with and the work you've been doing. Could you give us a quick update and share with us just what you've been doing, maybe since we last spoke to you, please? Okay. So March was Women's History Month, and uh, I had uh, a presentation to give for a university on the history of women and how they are the glue of society. Wonderful. And for this particular presentation, uh, they wanted me to make sure that everyone, uh, uh, students and faculty of the university could uh, be, uh, could engage and and feel like it was just (laughs) comfortable for them. So I chose, and they approved to talk about the women of my own family. Yeah. And uh, the, the beauty of that is that uh, we are a family for generations that we may not have called ourselves this, but we were archivists. We yeah. kept photographs, papers, letters, everything possible for generations. And in doing so, we have this magnificent history of very strong women who uh, um, came to the United States in the starting in the 1800s. Right, uh, Jewish uh, immigrants uh, from the Pale, uh, Russia, basically, uh, to make lives for their families. Um, at a time in in the beginning, uh, at a time when um, women were not even allowed to vote in this country, and uh, but the way that they made a difference was just uh, really amazing. My uh, great great grandmother um, had eleven children. Wow! And yes. And um, my grandmother, who was born uh, in uh, 1890s, uh, 
had more of an education than the man she married. Wow. She graduated high school. She got a job. She, she was able to uh, support the entire family during the Depression. Right. And they, she and my grandfather lived in Bermuda, where another side of the family was uh, and is the only Jewish family to have lived on the island for four generations. And the two of them sent uh, my mother and her sister off to Ivy League schools, colleges in the States. Very unusual for that time in the 30s. And it's pretty unusual for now, even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the idea of pioneering and uh, being uh, ahead of the curve is just sort of part of our DNA, right? So my mother, um, who is just the sweetest thing, my, my Aunt Polly called her, she said, my, your mother was the saint, I am not, <laughs> and uh, but she was also a pioneer in special education for for kids at risk back in the forties. And as I went through the papers uh, to prepare for this presentation, uh, I came across uh, these papers, and it's it, it was amazing. She got invited in the nineteen forties to submit an article to a Yale university periodical uh, and uh, they were all there in the archives and she had, she never really talked about it the very humble people right uh, of course we do this and and according to my husband i'm the same way and like, what 15 books i've written award-winning doesn't everyone <laughs> So it was beautiful to see these all again and to weave them together for people who had never met the family yeah. and to ask them to talk about the women that inspired them. Yeah. And because we all have that. Yeah. It is part of, of, of the beauty of being human and being female that there, even if you never met them, there are people you admire. Yes. Right. And it, it's, it's something that uh, uh, was wonderful to do during Women's History Month. Yeah. And then um, I got an invitation from my daughter, right, the next generation, to give a uh, presentation on my diversity work, uh, Matrix Model Management System, uh, to the grand rounds of the hospital where she works. Right. as a physician yeah. and so uh, the next day after doing that i was online of course uh doing this with uh, doctors and and nurses and community health experts uh, to take them through what i had invented in terms of cognitive diversity and unconscious bias and and getting them involved in how to boost emotional intelligence. The kinds of, of, of uh, skill sets uh, that traditionally anyway, women have, have often been um, in the forefront of yeah, uh, the, the 
humanity of our our existence uh, it means uh, we have people skills <laughs> that's what and one of the things that makes us very valuable and I don't mean to stereotype women because not all of us have them or at the same degree uh, but what I found uh, in being my mother's daughter um, is that the there is an incredible art to dealing with people yes right yeah. it's not just it's not just a personality of caring it's a skill set that you can develop all your life and use in so many ways and then the next thing i knew i was coaching someone who is new as a consultant in the diversity field uh, I, a, a woman of of, of great uh, education and abilities uh, to access those skills consciously yes right? and i said to i said to her I said, we live in really difficult times. Yeah. Everyone's anxious. The intensity is unusual. Um, those of us who are inclined to be kind and warm and generous and understanding are needed more than ever. Yes. And no matter what your profession is, that's going to be true, but even more so when you're dealing with diverse people. And there's always going to be folks who are making mistakes or who don't intend to but offend. Hey, how are you going to deal with this? And I, I was telling her uh, about my mother, whose name was Estelle. Hey, and I said, my mother was so good at it that I've decided to turn her name into a verb. Estelle someone. So you go out and stell that person, and I guarantee you it'll go well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, my mother uh, passed away fairly young at 67. Um, but uh, And she was ill with cancer for the almost the last decade of her life. But that doesn't mean you can't leave a legacy for no. generations to come. Exactly. And I feel so fortunate that I'm continuing it. Yes. Is, and I know because you've spoken about yeah. the things that your mother's done on previous podcast episodes. And yeah. she truly was a trailblazer, wasn't she? It, there's so many things that she did and the experience. And where... Where you mentioned yeah. about unconscious bias. Now, this I, I interviewed a lovely yes. lady yesterday. Lovely lady, um, Sid um, Femtinos. She's based here in the UK, in Birmingham. She's a lovely Muslim lady. And she was talking about some of the racist feelings she had in some of her roles. And something she said about un unconscious bias, she was talking because she worked in the teaching profession. She'd worked from with young children as young as five right the way through to um, getting ready to college. And she was saying sometimes without realising the education profession will give an unconscious bias without. So you're taught something and you're not taught everything 
different areas. You're not taught in a diverse way. So you build an unconscious bias without realising it. Could you could you elaborate a bit more? Because I don't think I don't think many people fully understand what unconscious bias means. Could you okay. share for us what that what that actually means? Because some people would think, no, no, I'm not biased at all. But that's the whole reason of saying it's unconscious bias. It's stuff that you've been taught or learned, or it's imprinted onto your onto your DNA almost without you realizing it. Right. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that uh, I have benefited from in my in my journey is that uh, I started studying uh, cultural anthropology uh, back in the 1960s and the and specifically folklore and mythology, which is, is is storytelling, the science of storytelling. And when you start to look at that, you realize that our stories are so deeply embedded in us at an early age. And that's one of the things that my mother published about, the storytelling and children, the influence of it. And one of the things that uh, I I have uh, grown to understand more and more is that stories are incredibly tight, compacted databases of culture. (laughs) And and then they are, they embedded in you and you uh, absorb them in ways that uh, your culture shifts to you so that when you are then becoming a teacher, right, it's not that you assume anything it, or you, you have uh, even made a mistake. It's because you are a product of the culture that you were born into, raised into. And the cultural anthropology takes apart what culture is so that people can look at it. And I even have a map for it, a culture map. What is it? So that people have a better understanding of even defining diversity. And it's quite complex, right? And as soon as you start to put words to it, and identify with certain things, it it becomes more conscious. You become more conscious and aware of who you are, and you look at the world differently. And then when you you put it together, as I do, with a system of emotion metrics for emotional intelligence, you're able to uh, sense without even thinking where you're going that's uncomfortable. And then you're able to sense where the other people are uncomfortable too. And if you don't sense it and they tell you, you have the ability to listen and understand without being defensive and to start to use that information to reformulate your neural network again and again and again. Because... The reality is we learn, whether we're teachers or not, all our lives. Yeah. Right? So the process, then, you know, just uh, picks up steam <laughs> and enables you to recognize more and more of your unconscious biases as they become conscious and your choices become yeah. conscious. And I think yeah. when people And do... it's, it's a... Yeah, carry on, sorry. Carry on, sorry. <laughs> 
Yes. So, uh, the 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 unfortunate human um, desire is to get something done, change it, be okay. Everybody likes me, right? Kind of uh, approach. Yeah. Decisions very quickly and hope for the best. The reality is the decisions should come after the awareness, the sensitivity, the emotional intelligence, and the cultural competence yeah. so that the decisions are made in wisdom. Pearls of wisdom, right? <laughs> it's the synchronicities, as always, the synchronicities are starting already, aren't they? But everything that you share with us they truly are they're nuggets of gold because it's it's certain things i think some people will go through life and they won't even realize that they need to learn about unconscious bias diversity or anything like that and yet i'd say it should be paramount before you start anything else because if you don't understand how you communicate with anyone else around you you are you are doing those people a disservice so you're starting off on the back foot whereas if you like you said if you've understood a culture that maybe it's not a culture that you've been brought up with but you make the effort to find out and understand it that relationship grows and you grow as a person and it's I think it's fascinating. I, I think by learning that and learning about different cultures and about the diversity areas. Uh, and like I said to you, when, I, when, I, when the lady I interviewed yesterday literally just spoke about the unconscious bias there. And I thought, yes, I hadn't thought of it about that. And it really opened my eyes. And she said to me, she said, children are born with no bias whatsoever and when they start school they literally say things as they seem it's the education that almost molds people from it and where you've just explained to us the different areas where you can put the emotional information on top as well so you can understand yes. and put things right and if only everyone could think like that i mean <laughs> it would it would stop so many historical events wouldn't it it just really it, would it it would it would it would bring a, a kind of awareness that um uh, allows for a, a, a much more in-depth uh process for for information uh and when when you say that um you know you understand cultures mm. I'd like to go into that for a moment because that what I is what I call cultural competence. You know, right. you have, yes. and but the reality is somehow before you even try that, uh, you need to have built into your neural net, right, the connections and the the categories for dealing with the incredible amount of data that you'll be exposed to when you go into a new culture. Mm -hmm. So rather than end up with say, well, over here, they shake hands this way, over here, don't smile like this, they don't like it. And then you get the basis for it in the cultural anthropology approach, which gives you a way to um, 
categorize what you're hearing, what you're learning. And so it all makes sense. And it's not a haphazard, do this, do that. Yeah. Uh, and and that is the key uh, so that you have uh, the ability right, to be what we call agile. Yeah. Right? And uh, that means that you don't just know a few things, right? but you know what they mean. You know what they mean to people. You know that it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody in the room, even if they look alike. Yes. <laughs> you know, this because the diversity categories are so many of them. And then you have to think of the intersectionality of them. And that means, for example, it isn't just that you and I are women, right? You're from the UK. I'm in America, right? And I'm Jewish. I don't think you are. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Um, we both wear glasses, so we have a certain understanding of eyesight and what that means, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in many ways, our, our language, although many people will refer to it as both of us speaking English, we know better. Yeah. There's American English and there's British English. Thank you very much. And then, <laughs> uh, and just the awareness of that and what that means, say, in, in spelling, right, gives you a broader view of the world. Yes. Broader view of the world. And it's been um, my pleasure to have many times coached people who are uh, for internationals who speak British English as their native language to adjust to American English. Yeah. Especially here in the South. And I'm telling you, it's not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, and this is wonderful. This is what I think everyone should embrace. Because I know... Thinking about the British when they go abroad, we are terrible. The amount <laughs> of the people that do not even try to learn another language. And for some reason, not only do they think everyone understands the way we speak, we think that if we say it louder and if we shout, it makes more sense. And it doesn't at all. And when you look at it and you look at it from the diversity angle and almost say what are we doing to the people that we're speaking to how it's almost like a put down and it's so offensive and I think how can people do that and not even realize that they're doing it it's it it's mortifying to me it oh. really is <laughs> <laughs> so you, you we talked about my having been brought up in Bermuda as a British yeah. colonial, right? and speaking uh, with a British and a slight Bermudian accent, which gives it a little West Indies kind of lilt. And then ending up in New York at age eight, and it did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you are forced as a child to make that adjustment, right, uh, what we call become a polyglot, right, 
you have an interesting agility suddenly built into you that you can you can uh, uh, speak in one way and the other depending on your audience and so when i took my daughter back to bermuda for a visit and i my my language my everything just immediately went back to my island self and my daughter says to me wow mom you suddenly make sense here <laughs> and I'm like what <laughs> you know and 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 the things that she she would do that horrified me yeah you know like she was curious that's great but don't go out on a reef and stick your hand under it to see what's in there okay yeah <laughs> So um, it, it, it's it's those small little details that we take for granted, and we all have unconscious bias. The question is, you know, what do we want to do with them? Uh, some of it we're going to keep, right? I'm always going to be an island girl at heart, but there will be an awareness of the rest of the world. And one of the beauties of having been an island girl, right, is and being curious, right, is that I would read books from all over the world as yeah. a youngster. Yeah. Right? That exposure, even though you haven't traveled, yeah. right, does something for you. And I think when British folks travel, right, you know, they may want to see beforehand in books yeah. and be exposed to some of, and what I usually use, the arts, yeah. the music, the theater, the TV, right? The famous people, the food. Yes. People, t people don't realize how impactful that stuff is, yeah. right? Just, you know, go to a restaurant where they food, serve the food from the nation you're going to be visiting, right? And you won't be the same. <laughs> yes and then you'll learn and i think everywhere people go if they try they might not succeed but if you try and make an effort that goes so far i mean that's even a form of diplomacy just by trying i think and it's it's it, it's understanding that and it's making the effort to see so you do learn and i think it does make you what i'd call a rounded person where it where we were talking about personalities when you said virtually how you connect with someone if you can fully learn and look to embrace that person that you're connecting with that yeah. makes you i wouldn't say a better person but it does help you grow it helps you um, become a more rounded person definitely it does. It does. And, it, and then when you return home, you know, you've got all kinds of things to share and people who know you and love you will be eager to to hear about it and not just see the pictures of you standing in front of some renowned architecture. Right? But um, to, to hear the stories. Right. And, and if you tell the stories to the kids. Yeah. It will help shape them yeah. forever. Um, the, the, the stories that I read, and you may have also as a little girl, were uh, often 
from the Victorian era, mm. right? And they were used not just to entertain. No, they were used to teach, mm. teach you good manners and be chivalrous and be kind, right? And to understand what life is all about, yeah. right? Have you ever heard of the story uh, Tom the Water Baby? No, I don't think I have. Bits of it are, are, are stirring memories, but I might be ha thinking about three or four different um, okay. stories. So by all means, please elaborate and then I'll, I, I'll, it might well come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom the Water Baby, Tom was originally a chimney sweep. Right? And somehow he fell into the water and he was found by mermaids who adopted him and trained him in their world. And the beauty of it was just amazing. And I've never forgotten it. And one of my um, audiobooks is uh, Adventures in Diversity Land has a picture of uh, a, a boat going to the shore where there's a, a Statue of Liberty, America, and by the boat is a mermaid waving. <laughs> and to this day, I'm convinced there really are mermaids who know everything, yes. right? And when my mother did pass away, my vision of what happened after her passing was her soul went into the depths of the ocean and the mermaids took good care of her. Oh, that's and wonderful. it gave me incredible comfort. Yes. Oh, that is wonderful. That really is. And I, I, I am, it's, it's just making me feel warm all over, just the thought of that. And like you say, I mean, that's, that's such a fantastic, wonderful story just on its own. And the, the way you could, could share things from that and how her soul connected with the mermaids and you could have messages from it. It is just wonderful. It really is wonderful. So I love well, I love all about books. I mean, I really do. I, I did my, my degree was English language and literature. And when you said that, I'm not sure if I shared with you before, the dissertation I did was on fairy tales. And I looked at it and I, 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 I did it as a psychoanalysis and I took Little Red Riding Hood. And then I looked at the way Angela Carter has written about that. And I looked at the way uh, fairy tales were used almost to teach children safety and the ways they should do. And when, because some of the, we think of fairy tales are things that you, you read to children, but some of their origins are so dark. It's quite scary. It really is. Yes, indeed. I was convinced that a huge ogre lived in the teeny underneath the teeny tiny drawbridge in Somerset, Bermuda. And every time we drove over it, I was like, ah. <laughs> but we do, we believe there's messages for us to learn, but it is, it's, it's seen, um, um, like when I looked at the Little Red Riding Hood story and Company of Wolves and you look at it like that, 
there are so many different ideologies that we're taught through it. And there's sexual innuendo, which is some of it is, is it is to scare young girls that they don't talk to the wolf that's all sly and everything. And it's and you when you look at it, the amount of layers you can peel back as yeah. different ideas. It's like you say, with every story, like you say, with all those storytelling, it's different layers and you put the foundations and then you grow from that. And when you write a trilogy or something like that, or you do a whole series, you're building on the foundations that you've taught at the very beginning. And there's so much truth in what we see as fiction. It's come from fact and ideology and everything and it is just wonderful and it's amazing what your imagination can do and how it can move you forward you know you're bringing to mind um, the process of writing my memoirs (laughs) how do you pull your creativity into historical fact yeah right so it's not Fiction. It's not exactly non-fiction. It's it's a, they, they've actually given it a new genre of historical memoir because yeah. they didn't know what else to do with us. <laughs> At first, you know, they didn't have that, and they wondered what was I doing? Why didn't I just publish my father's papers from World War II as a soldier and leave it at that? But that wasn't what I had in mind. No. That's not. That I wanted to tell the story where people could learn, and that's what he wanted. He yeah. eventually, in retirement, became a teacher. So the 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 ability to to create these fairy tales or memoirs and with with history and documents, and then stories that make them come alive. Yeah, right. Trying to do that. Early on, I I didn't do it very well, <laughs> and my father was um, kind enough to say, uh, "Well, you're getting there, dear," which I knew meant, <laughs> meant <"Ugh." laughs> and the reality was that it took me. I did two memoirs. It took me twenty years. To write the first one, The Liberator's Daughter. Uh, and uh, I kind of had to, and I, I really only did it after he passed away mm. because um, I took a few liberties, uh, the creative me. Yeah. And the, the military intelligence officer was not going to be amused by that. And so you had. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing is it only took me one year yeah. to write the second. Yeah. And I say this to people a lot because so many people are stories themselves. Yeah. They, they embody wisdom that they're not quite aware of, of history and incredible efforts that writing brings to the surface yes talk about unconscious bias you know well i i don't know anything i don't have anything to say uh-huh and i'm i'm no different right <laughs> but the process of 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 putting words down on paper of reading it aloud to yourself or someone else 
brings us to an awareness unlike any other. It's so transformational. Yes. Right? And even if you didn't want to write a memoir or a book like me, say you had a problem at work and you couldn't understand what was going on and why people were mad at you. If you start writing it out and, and thinking about what are they in writing? What are they saying? What did I feel? What did it look like they felt? It will come together. Yeah. And you will understand what you didn't see before. Yeah. And this is almost where you're saying that. I'm just thinking where people journal or to keep a diary. This is where it's so perfect. You get your ideas out on paper and you can it, you get clarity from it and like you say if you've got a problem at work and you turn it almost into fiction and you can say oh you're only seeing it one side you're seeing a one-dimensional view of it whereas that 3d that full view you don't know what's happening to the other person you don't know if they've just come out of a massive argument you don't know their home life you don't know any of these things and if you almost put it into a work of fiction you can see so many scenarios that have led to what could have been harsh words said whilst people were making coffee simply because that again we go on to unconscious bias again they pick up on a word that you might have even mispronounced or not even meant it but because of the way they're feeling that word resonates in completely the wrong way exactly exactly and one of the things you can do with this little storytelling exercise is write the ending that you want Okay, so say you want it to be an ending where everybody's at peace with each other. What would that look like? Say you can't do it, it just doesn't come to you. Okay, why don't you write what it would look like if the whole thing just exploded in your face? And then compare, and maybe something in the middle might be doable. <laughs> and that's part of the emotion metrics that I teach. And because you, you ha- have sometimes, or maybe often, the power, right, to write the story and the ending of it yeah. that's going to be productive. Yeah. But you can't unless you have that awareness. Yeah. I- I've got a phrase coming into my mind. Yes. Words become things. And, I, <laughs> and literally from that and from saying that, yes, I do a lot of law of attraction work. And when I look at the work I've done and where I've read um, Celestine Prophecy for, recently, but then I realised how much I'd learned and Celestine Prophecy was maybe sort of I was more advanced than that at the very beginning but I'm sure that's where they said words become things and it's like you're saying literally use the power of the pen use the power of your imagination to put something out there and before you know it what starts as fiction can become fact and you can actually bring it into your life can't you like you were saying with that yeah and I use that in my diversity training I I give people uh a situation and I say, okay, I want you to write out the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. Let's see what they look like. And you say it out loud, report out because I have teams do it. Mm -hmm. And it's 
you can hear them laugh and 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 cry all at the same time you know <laughs> but in the process engages you in ways that you haven't been in the past and just by trying to do that yes you know no matter what the results are just by trying it yeah. uh, gives you a, a new look on life a broader view of it uh, which is what is needed and you know these days we're we're in such chaos right well take advantage of it um, see if what you could change to to look good people often say well how are you going to how are we going to look in the future what's the future going to look like now a lot of my colleagues says well i don't know and I said, no, 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 that's not the right answer. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah. Take a particular issue, yeah. right? And do the story in your mind of what it could look like in the future. What you're willing to work towards. Yeah. Tell them that and then recruit them to help you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that and that that's quite a simple thing to do but then you get everyone that's how positive movements start and actually take root and start to move forward and that's how you achieve wonderful things isn't it it's just literally sharing an idea an ideology in such a way that other people can understand it and run with it and see and they and it's it's almost that transformational change and it starts by that one pebble that you change or one one line of text that you you change and it can completely change it can pivot one of my favorite words at the minute is pivot where you actually learn one thing and you pivot to a different direction and yeah. you can do that from just a simple line in in the prose that you're writing and you could make that and you and then you bring it in to life as it were and that makes such a difference doesn't it yeah it does it does and we need that these days as we face so much of the unknown yeah. and and people are how put it talk about diversity people's responses are very diverse yeah and they and they range Right from totally antisocial, right mm -hmm. from to totally dedicated to uh, uh, making a better world yeah. uh, in different ways. Uh, the number of people who have uh, created Zoom conferences and and calls uh, has multiplied because we need them. We yeah. need to hear these ideas. And it's amazing to me. And while it's it's terrifying what COVID has done to the world, the ability to connect like we are yeah. right, through the internet and exchange ideas yeah. right, um, is just magnificent. Right? It's like a fairy tale in itself. <laughs> yeah. it I mean, like, when you say that, yes, there's terrible things that have happened through lockdown, through COVID. But I know for myself, as a person, I've grown. I have expanded my network. I've grown. I would never have met you 
and I it, I'm so glad that I've connected with you because every time we catch up, I learn something else, and it you really open my eyes to so many different things. And the other wonderful ladies I've connected to when I started off with the International Women's Day, it doesn't matter that we're hundreds, thousands of miles away. When we're here discussing, it does feel like we're in the same room and we have the same dreams and ideology and we want to make the same changes. And that's lovely to connect. And that's why I go back to my other favourite word, synchronicities, where you have that connection with people and it happens for a reason. So for all the bad that's come out of COVID, it's changed my life for the better because I've met wonderful people like yourself. <laughs> uh, thank you. Likewise, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it, it is an amazing time uh, to connect uh, and to, um, to share ideas. It's, it's also, though, um, a very highly competitive world to get people's attention so that means that folks are doing some rather odd things online (laughs) 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 and and that the the usual uh, mode of operation that is called professional has changed a bit right it's become more personal yeah. Colorful, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and I, for one, am loving it yeah. because uh, my, my, it used to be my response to all of this was highly professional, quite formal in a very, you explain, British colonial way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Everything would be. And I wouldn't say monotone, but measured. Yeah. And uh, it would be thoughtful. Right? And a lot, uh, especially of Americans, you know, would, would one, be impressed, but two, be bored to death. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this time has unleashed, right, uh, the, the inner... Uh, fairy queen uh, right uh, with a, a bit of Yiddish on the side yep. right? uh, and the more I do it the more I realize this is really who I am yeah. and so I've given myself permission to just be that yes. and you know I wish I had done it sooner. <laughs> I, I completely connect with everything you're saying there because I'm so to doing the corporate role and I know still some of the things when I get into corporate mode, I don't even realise and I use terminology that people start to turn off because or the switch off because they've literally got, oh, yes, that's that's just the buzzwords, but you're so used to using it. And before you realise it, you've done this whole monologue (laughs) nothing to anyone, to your audience. And you're going back almost to being, it's been your authentic self. And I think this, again, using Zoom where people need to discuss, where we can actually see each other. I mean, all right, this is an audio that we're recording, 
but you can see I gesticulate I talk with my hands all the time and that's when I'm you can't you can't necessarily feel that when I it's a plain audio recording and it's it's knowing then you look at the tone of your voice and you put passion into it and the you have the timbre of your voice goes up and down so you can actually connect with people more and these are things that in in business corporate you just wouldn't do that and you're you're learning how to be like I say your authentic self that you come over more authentic people can't read body language so much because we're in front of a screen and like a lot of people I mean I've got my my um my backdrop my virtual backdrop behind me so people can't see I could be sitting absolutely anywhere but it, people and they it's almost pretending where they are I've got I've seen some people have done the most beautiful backdrops of um like um islands and beaches and everything and to begin with you'd think when I'm very naive to this to begin with I think oh that's in their back garden they're living by the sea and of course they weren't but this is the perception that people start to put out there and you do change completely when you're in an office environment it's almost like school where you all wear a uniform and everyone's the same we've become individuals again with with our own authentic voice because we're within that that box that is our house that is our home because we're not connecting so much and the only way we connect is online yeah i i agree totally and it's a an interesting experience it's it, um let me put it i've met so many wonderful people this past year yeah. and and i i wouldn't give it up for the world having said that um we are facing, you know, a, a an incredible dilemma worldwide, and I, I'll just um, go to that for a minute. About a month ago, I got my J and J shot yeah. uh, for COVID. Not long after, okay, I learned that there were some rather difficult reactions to the shot being recorded yeah. okay and I it's not like I totally panicked but I pretty much <laughs> every day if something went wrong oh my gosh oh my gosh am I dying oh no <laughs> you know and I I believe that that mindset uh well I don't think I'm alone right yeah. we're all wondering Our mortality is so much closer to our sense of awareness now than it's been in a long time. That sense of mortality is something that many people are not used to. And I don't think they have quite digested yet. Yes. Of what that means and what it should mean. Some people are just going off off the rails and you know they they're not coming out of their homes they're not doing anything others are going to ignore it entirely but i'll I'll share with you that i first had this experience of mortality when i was 16 and became very ill and they didn't know why and they couldn't tell me what my fate would be 
And I've lived with it off and on as, as it has bubbled up. And one, one uh, doctor said to me, he said, once you open the door to your mortality, you cannot close it. Yeah. So that means that life is taking on new meanings for us. We'll indeed do that as time goes on because that door doesn't close. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how people deal with that. I tried to start making my legacy at age 16. Yeah. You know? Well, if everyone was to think like that, that they needed to start their legacy today, think of how that would change people's behavior, expectations, how, uh, how they would deal with different people. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that... That just that's just a fantastic thought. And I had I had my first jab beginning of March, so probably about the same time as you had yours, and I had the AstraZeneca one. And then they uh, started saying in fact yes. I, had my, I had my jab the day they started saying uh, but by that time it was already in my arm, it was in my body, there was nothing I could do about it. And you start to think and there's still a second jab to come and you think, well, if, what if today, how many times do people say, live the d- today as if it were your last? So you do the best you possibly can, live life to the full, because so many times we don't. We we wish our lives away, say, we can't wait until this, we can't wait until that, instead of actually living in the moment and doing something wonderful with it. Exactly, exactly. And it's one of the reasons I think that I've gotten into diversity work because the human condition, right, was something I was so aware of. And there was no time to hate people. Yeah. Yeah. To dislike them because they were different. To do that at a young age, it just you know, has lasted decades and decades. And I think, go back to your friend, the teacher, who talked about unconscious bias. Yeah. If that kind of mode is in her and she can give it to the students, you know, instead of being afraid, saying, you are history. You are making it. Yeah. What you going to do? Yes. What do you want to be remembered for? Tell us a story. Tell us the story that means the most to you and how you fit into it. Yeah. Yeah. It could be cool. <laughs> and you saying that, that's reminding me of something else. She said she teaches, she homeschools people. And she, her classes are all different ages they can start like I said at five years old and go right the way up to late teens but when they're all interacting in the same class and if she's teaching a certain subject they're all at different levels and they bring a different mindset and it's just it's fantastic and like little things she was saying I mean I'm gonna have to listen back because it was there's so many gems that she shared and she said like the young children are excited and they're full of wonder 
and they haven't yet their enthusiasm hasn't been curbed so they will think of an idea and run with it but when it comes to the dexterity that was needed from the older children because yes they're more used to actually there's me moving my hands yet again but it is the dexterity which is something that a five-year-old might not have perfectly um, understood yet so you've got the, the the wonder and beauty of a very young child mixing with the understanding of an older child of coming together and looking at the same subjects I love it. it's wonderful wonderful it must be indeed you know when i was working in nonprofit organizations i always hired interns young student interns to come in to help with the work yeah. but to also let's see what you think <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah what 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 strikes you as interesting important i want to hear it uh, oh gosh i remember one young lady uh told one of my staff people he said oh how very 1980s of you right and he he later came to me what do you mean 1980s i'm modern i'm not that old i'm <laughs> and i said trust me on this pay attention <laughs> the generational differences never go away they just increase and sometimes they're just wonderful there you go <laughs> that that generational generational mix, if you put that into a project environment, that's what you need. And yet, when we go back to the corporate thing, when we're all working together in an office, they don't see that. And you find that people are segregated when that isn't how you get the best out of people at all. Very true. And one of the things that has happened since I last talked to you is that uh, I've been hired by companies that are primarily millennials, younger people. Yeah. And I will be the speaker and trainer. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> they will never be the same and I will never be the same because we learn from each other and, and we get the chance to, oh, okay make something amazing out of it. Uh, I remember doing one session and it was all ages and we were all standing around towards the end of it. It was in person. It was a while ago. And um, one of the young people, high school uh, individuals said, when I asked, you know, what did you learn? What was most important to you? And he says, ah, I learned that I really can learn things from these old folks, it's fascinating listening to them. And I went, mm -hmm. and then one of these older ladies in her mid eighties chimes in and says, who you call an old son? <laughs> yes, and I, I mean, I will feel, I, I don't feel, any older than when I was 16, 17 in my teens. It's like when you're out and or you look in the mirror and you suddenly thought, think, where did those wrinkles come from? I don't remember those. And inside, 
you don't feel any age at all. Do you? It's, it's when your mind's alert and you're connecting with things. I don't think it. It's only the outside that seems to show age. I don't think internally you ever show any age. It, in unless you can say that wisdom is something you learn through the aging process. Well, I do think that uh, that. Um... Every, every year of our lives, we gain a certain amount of knowledge and wisdom uh, that people should pay attention to and listen to. Uh, I remember, uh, where was it, I think? I was saying something like, there is nothing more valuable to society than an elderly woman. because she's had to deal with so much, often in the background, but she has it in her head, how the people worked, how they changed. It is is incredible asset. I wish that, that the women who came before me were still here, I have a lot of questions for them, but, <laughs> you know, I wish I had been smart enough to answer, ask back in the day. Yeah. So we need to take really, uh, I, I appreciate that, that they recognize in me, these young people, right, that wisdom. And having said that, um, I'm probably just as goofy as any of them in private <laughs> and sometimes even out there. <laughs> well, that's the fun. And I think that's, that's just it. It's just wonderful. Like we said about enjoying life and I have just seen the time. I can't believe we've just covered an hour on so many wonderful <laughs> phenomenal things. So I am going to have to bring this interview to a close. Okay. I can't wait until we catch up again because we've shared so many pearls of wisdom. And again, I will make sure that I share all your details. If you send them across to me, I'll put them into the the, um, description of the podcast. And it just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you, Deborah. I, I love it when we get together and we share all that's gone through what the ideas because you've definitely you've definitely made me see things in so many different lights and I always learn when I listen to you it's a pleasure thank you for having me on your podcast I look forward to the next time late in the summer and in the meantime um, go in good health oh thank you and you and you lovely lady thank you so much Thank you you for listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.